Welcome to God's Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God's Open, we're going to be talking about the two wills of God. Now, this is a Calvinist concept that God has a secret will by which he predestines or predetermines all things, and then a declarative will by which he tells us what we should and should not do. And this is a pretty common concept. Let me share my screen real quick. We'll take a look at what uh, our good friend R.C. Sproul talks about. He talks about the decorative will of God. Probably have to zoom in there pretty closely. The decorative will of God. This is sometimes described as the sovereign efficacious will by which God brings to pass whatsoever he pleases by his divine decree. So that's his the declarative will. He, he's declared these things. But then there's a perceptive will of God relates to the revealed commandments of God's published laws. When God commands us not to steal, this degree does not carry with it the immediate necessity of consequence. So God will say things like, do not steal, but then people will steal. Uh-oh, <laughs> you're a Calvinist. You got a problem now. God said, do not steal. And then people are stealing and thieving and there's thievery. So God has said something and that thing did not come to pass. Oh, uh <laughs> Hold your horses. Uh, they they got a category for that. It's just his perceptive will. Those are just things that he says, and they are also they also do have some effect, but that effect is like a metaphysical effect that people are going to be judged against those because those decrees are still in force, and so even though people are violating them, they're not violating his. Declar declarations of what he wants, right? And so these two wills of God, this is R.C. Sproul. This is from the website Monergism, which is actually a very good resource for all things Calvinism. I found this uh, back in my college days, and it just has a huge breadth of resources for omniscience, omnipotence, all, all, all the different categories. Back before I even knew what Monergism was, this, this site stuck out. So R.C. Sproul talks about ne next the permissive will of God. And Calvinists, although a lot of internet Calvinists will, clear, will, will uh, declare that they believe God has a permissive will, it's just not Calvinism. That's not what Calvinists believe. R.C. Sproul, he goes through this and he talks about how God doesn't really just permit anything. Everything is predestined or declared, decreed. And we already talked through, we read through Calvin in his, his works. He has the entire section called No Mere Permission. Nothing is done save at the secret instigation and plan of God. I can't pull my Kindle screen over because it doesn't like it, but that's basically a direct quote. It says that men do nothing save at the secret instigation of God and do not discuss and deliberate on any thing but what he has previously decreed with himself and brings to pass by his secret direction is proved by numberless clear passages of scripture no mere permission so in in the calvinist system god has two wills one is his uh, eternal uh, predestination of all things and one is moral commands which kind of get violated in the here and now but those two things conflict so he'll tell people, do not steal. But on the other hand, he has this eternal decree by which people are fated to steal. They, 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 have, they have no personal 
that they, they have no personal volition in the matter. They must steal because he eternally decreed that to happen. That this this is a normal Calvinist concept, and so switching over to Twitter, Soteriology one hundred and one posted this meme, and this meme shows an angel, uh, Jacob and the angel wrestling, classic uh, painting, but the text on it is kind of like a King James style text. And it says, the angel said unto him, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself below. He could not, for the angel was hitting him with his own hands. Now, way back in the day, I found this picture and I thought, hey, that that's exactly what Calvinism teaches. And so I grabbed the picture and I slapped this little label on it, how Calvinism works. And here we are, I don't know, like a decade later and the meme is still circling. So that feels good that one of my memes is in circulation. But the Calvinists, they took a lot of issue with this. They said, uh, oh, this doesn't represent Calvinism. You just don't understand Calvinism. Remember, we just talked about what Calvinists believe. And we'll pull up a John Piper video declaring that as well. Go back and rewatch our episode on no mere permission. This is what Calvinists believe. So what, what, what are the key, key facets of this meme? Is there's somebody who's doing something while the other person's telling them not to do it, but the other person is the one making it happen. Doesn't that sound exactly what Sprell was talking about with his different types of wills? He's got these two different types of wills. Uh, scroll up. He's got his decorative will, his, what he decrees from all eternity. And then he got has a perceptive will, what we perceive of his commands. This is exactly Calvinism. Calvinists should not have an issue. Yeah, David writes, God willed that meme to you. Yeah, Calvinists should not have an issue with this meme. It, it's, it's exactly what they teach. But, of course, if uh, anyone who's not a Calvinist talks about Calvinism, the rule is they just don't understand Calvinism, right? You could be quoting Calvinists. It doesn't matter. They don't care. You could be quoting John Calvin. You just don't understand Calvinism. The only person who could talk about Calvinism is an actual Calvinist in their mentality. So what's more rational? More rationally, uh, most Calvinists don't understand Calvinism. Uh, they contradict themselves and they're in complete denial mode. So here, here's this guy, P5. To PP526, the chance of this being an accurate representation of Reformed theology, zero. Oh, and then I posted back to him. I posted back to all these guys, and I just posted a back uh, quote by Calvin, by which every person obeys the eternal command of God and spontaneously followed the course which God at first appointed. So that that's the one part of the equation. That that's his. A decorative will, his decree, his eternal decrees, John Calvin's talking about, we cannot not follow these those eternal decrees. We don't have the volition to disobey what God has made us do, right? Another part of that is that God has moral decrees, which we, which we violate all the time. There's a contradiction. So this guy, his name's Sola, and he's got a John Calvin sunglasses, says, Wrong. The correct view is that a person is repeatedly hitting themselves with their own hands because they like it. Oh, man. Is is that what Calvin taught? Is that what uh, Sproul is teaching here? This this is no, they're they're doing it because God is forcing them you know, scrolling back up. 
as if they obeyed the eternal command of God and spontaneously followed the course which God at first appointed. Before these people were ever born, they must do these actions. They don't have volition in that. So keep scrolling down. I posted him the John Piper clip. We'll pull that up on YouTube and we'll run through that a little bit later. And uh, this guy's trying to mock Leighton Flowers because he thinks that Leighton Flowers posted this. Uh, maybe I used to be a Calvinist with the, with the varying capitalization, says Leighton. Right. He doesn't think this is an accurate representation of Calvinism. Adam Muir says wrong again that this is not an accurate representation of Calvinism. I posted a little John Piper clip to all these people. It would take a non-Calvinist to come up with such nonsense, says J. Hecathorn, biblicist. Th these are all Calvinists. These are all Calvinists coming out of the woodwork saying this meme is an inaccurate representation of what they actually believe. So is it? What, what about God's two different types of wills talked about by Sproul and talked about by John Calvin, right? And soon to be talked about by Piper. This guy just starts talking about Calvinism. A lot of people like like the meme. It it uh, it gets it makes people uh, laugh, so it's good. So there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, this guy says, "Lame man-made tweet of the Word of God." I'll take Word of God. You seem to be a detractor in verse nineteen. Paul answered the question a long time ago, uh, quoting Romans. Yeah, that's what they do. But all the Calvinists think that this is an inaccurate representation of Calvinism. We, we've seen already, and we will be pulling up John Piper. I'll just have to present that real quick. So let's just talk a little bit about what the biblical picture is. How about the idea that God doesn't always get what he wants? Like, I, I want, I want, I want to eat all the ice cream in the world every day, just like nonstop eating ice cream. You know, that would be nice. That'd be nice. But I can't do that because there's consequences to those actions, right? I'll get fat. So I, I, I could just actually lavish all my money into ice cream and just eat ice cream all day, but I will get fat. There's consequences. And so in real life, people face trade-offs. God faces trade-offs too within the Bible. Like God wants to do things but there's practical limitations and uh, there, there's hindrances to that. It's like God wants all men to be saved. Yeah, but not at the expense of letting Hillary Clinton into heaven. That That's not, you want all people to be saved, but you there are limitations to that. Not at the expense of letting really, really bad people into heaven, right? Uh, God wants... His, to be with his people and live among his people, but not at the expense of living among them when they're in wickedness, when they're in sin, when they're in rebellion and rejection of him, right? God doesn't get what he wants. There are trade-offs. And so you have you, you could want multiple things and those things can be conflicting. Your goals can conflict with each other. And then you have to make a rational decision of what trade-offs you're willing to accept. In Calvinism, God doesn't accept trade-offs. This is one of the things that they, they'll just flatly deny to God that uh, God, God has limitations on getting the things that he wants. God must get everything he wants, no matter what, without any, any detriment, anything like that. But that's not the biblical picture. 
God faces trade-offs. God often, uh, he, he, he defers to mankind about how to handle situations. Moses uh, and him are interacting. He says, I'm going to kill all Israel, make a new Israel through you. Moses intervenes, changes God's mind. God goes or sticks with the current Israel who all die in unbelief in the wilderness. It would have turned out, it might've turned out better if we did God's plan, but he chose not to do that plan because someone convinced him otherwise. God faces trade-offs. Not every, every action, not every goal is worth worth what it takes to get that goal. The ends does not always justify the means within the Bible. So let's let's turn to John Piper and we'll see what John Piper says about these two wills. So we want a handle on how to manage this paradox or mystery that God forbids things he brings about. And God commands things that he hinders from happening. That, that, that's the clip I sent all those individuals who thought that the meme was inaccurate. So again, the meme is an angel commanding a guy to stop hitting himself, but the guy could not because the angel was the one doing the hitting. That's how Calvinism works, where the operator, the one doing the action, is commanding the action not to take place. That's the concept, the overlap between the meme and Calvinism, as pointed out in the text. This is exactly Calvinism, not a misrepresentation. They should freely embrace the meme. They should love the meme, but they don't because it's being posted by a non-Calvinist. That in one sense, something is the will of God, and in another sense, that same something is not the will of God. Without this category of thought, I don't think you can make sense out of the Bible, the God of the Bible. So let's look at these two kinds of willing. Here's number one. Let's call it uh, either the sovereign will of God or His will of decree. It means God's sovereign control of everything that comes to pass. So that's one of God's wills. God sovereignly decrees everything that comes to pass. Uh, not, it's, no, it's no individual volition. Everyone must perform according to this secret will of God, as we've seen from Sproul and Calvin before him. One of the clearest teachings of the Bible. Let's look at some verses. I think I'll just quote them. You can jot them down and look at them. One of the clearest teachings of the Bible, he says. Okay, so one of the clearest teachings of the Bible is this category between God's secret will and his declared will. Okay, is, is everyone buying that? Do you guys remember those categories when you're reading the Bible, when you're like a little kid and you're first... Like, oh, David and Goliath and and uh, praying to God, relying on God and, and going through all the stories of the Bible. You're like, wow, God has some sort of secret will. And then he's got some sort of declared will. Is is that was is that one of the clearest teachings of the Bible? Later, but you know them, most of them. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is in Gethsemane and he prays like this. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but 
as you will. Matthew 26, 39. What does as you will mean? What kind of will of God is that? Well, it means his plan for Jesus to be crucified. So here is an interesting thing that we are witnessing in real time. Um, the text actually talks about two individual actors, Jesus and the Father, and they're having a conflict of wills. But this is a category that needs to be categorically denied by Calvinism to God. God can't have two different wills conflicting each other. The Calvinists are in a will worship and things like that. And so you'll hear them often talk about like, oh, if, if our will's done rather than God's will, that makes us more powerful than God. Just weird claims like that. But uh, what's happening in the garden is Jesus just doesn't want to die. And uh, he understands that the father has a plan and a plan for this. And he's seen if there's any alternative routes to accomplishing this plan. And he doesn't want his apprehensions of the event to override a God actually carrying out the event. And so he prefaces the, the, this saying, not my will, but yours be done. He's saying if, if you have to pick between one of our wills, because there's a conflict between these two wills, uh, go ahead and pick yours because I value your will over my will, even though we have different wills in this situation. But the Calvinist, um, they, they have to force it into their formula. God can't have a conflict of wills between members of the Trinity. God can't have a conflict in his will. His will is one single absolute. And so it, our arbitrary category creation, one of the wills has to be a secret will. And one of the wills have to be a declared will. And this is his evidence. He says, our categories are clear because look at Jesus talking to God about their conflicts of wills. If there's no other way, Father, if that is the infinitely wise way, the infinitely loving way, the infinitely just way, do what you must do. And he did it. And here's the crucial thing to observe. It was shot through with sin and could not have happened without sin. It's a sin to kill the Son of God. It's a sin to mock the Son of God. It's a sin to whip the Son of God with stripes prophesied in the Old Testament. It's a sin to be expedient and wash your hands and hand him over. And yet... We all know from Acts chapter 4, verse 27, Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So here you get another proof texting. It's interesting when they use words with the prefix pro, pro-horizon, pro-gnosko. Uh, this is his pre-planned, uh, his, his, uh, I, I think it's uh, pro-horizo in this verse. We could pull it up. But typically that prefix means your plan at the time or, or your choice at that time or you knew the person at that time, pro-gnosko. The Jews pro-gnosko uh, Paul, they knew him when he was younger 
right? And so the pro prefix is being readily abused within within a lot of reformed uh, talking points. And so what he's saying here, uh, his claim is that all these people were doing sin, but it was part of God's plan. What he doesn't want is he he wouldn't want it if it was God's at the moment plans as he's dealing with changing circumstances on the ground as events are occurring. We see God doing that all the time within the Bible. God weaved Joseph brothers, their actions for good when they were trying to do evil with it. It's not like God set out to kill Joseph and then uh, like thwarted himself or something like that. He saw what they were doing and weaved it the text says that's that's the word it's it's about manipulation he weaved it for good god can change plans and get things to his his outcomes in real time as those things are occurring john piper here wants us to be eternally predestined secret decrees of god i just don't think that's what's happening here and when i queried bart ehrman on this verse bart ehrman he said well i think what's happening in acts is they just want the hearers to understand that Jesus was not killed outside of what God intended. It, it, like God's plans are not being thwarted by this execution. It's not like it's not like the goal that's going going on here is that they're trying to communicate that every single person is acting according to some predetermined plan or anything like that. But God has goals, and God can get to those goals. And the, the execution of Jesus did not thwart those goals. The script was written for this night and this Good Friday in Isaiah 53 in great detail and in Psalm 22 and in many other passages. The script was written. The will of God is a fixed, determinate purpose to... Uh, Warren writes, the Calvinist interpretation has God eternally wanting and bringing about the slave trade to get Joseph into Egypt, effectively predestined the lust of Potiphar's wife. Listen, if God wants to eternally predestine women's lust of me, I'm all for it. But yeah, I think I think Warren is correct here that, that it, it sets up a very silly situation. We're all living in, in a mockumentary of the world in which all the silly things that happen, everything so minute that causes all sorts of events. All, all these things are eternally predestined part of God's plans. Well, when I was backpacking around Europe and my, my uh, guy I was backpacking with had a bathroom problem and he had to break into a loo because he didn't have like, like a quarter to put in it. So he had to rip it open and he just demolished the place. That was part of God's eternally predestined plan for him to just just destroy that bathroom. Yeah, fantastic. Um, a little bit silly. To bring about the death of his son, Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. And it was full of sin. Which means we must have a category of thinking that says... So there is another category of thinking is that you could use wicked people to your own ends. Uh, Bob Enyart gives a story about how um, when he was he was sued for some sort of reason and he used the he, the ACLU to defend him on free speech grounds. He was getting an enemy enemy organization who hated his guts 
using their resource and their dollars to defend him. And God could do that too. God could use enemy nations to punish as we see him with the Assyrians. And the Assyrians in the text, they overstep their bounds. And so they are punished because they themselves have punished too harshly. And so it's it's not like these are, these are blunt instruments rather than scalpels. God is getting his plans done through means of his enemies. So th those things are allowable. You could get your enemies to attack your enemies in just normal wars. You could rile them up and do that and use their resources for your benefit. This is not a bad thing. <laughs> David says, uh, God's poop plans. Fantastic. Now that we said poop, this is rated not for children. God can ordain that sin happen without being a sinner. If you don't have that category in your mind, you can't handle the cross and the prophecies. God ordains that there be sin in the particulars of the death of his son, because he couldn't have been crucified without it, and he is not himself a sinner. So let's just talk about what John Piper is doing here. He's uh, He builds some categories, God's secret will and his declared will, and then he wants to uh, give some sort of sermon that resonates with his audience and makes them accept it. And he tries to go for emotional manipulation. And so how are you going to emotionally manipulate Christians? You're going to start talking about the cross, the death of, of Jesus. And you're going to start talking about concepts like that. Christianity, Christ is in the name. It's a religion centered around Christ. And so he hasn't actually explained to us how his categories are real categories from these stories. What he did instead was give us those categories and then start talking about events that might, if you look at it a certain way, fit those categories. And because he's speaking with this pious nature, he, he's got the right hand gestures, the right voice inflections, his audience is like, wow, this is some pretty astute teaching. This, is, this stuff is on the mark. We're getting true biblical teaching from this man. Um, but that's he's misdirecting the audience. He's he's not proving what he set out to prove that these categories are categories that actually exist. That religious gaslighting is what Idol Killer says, right? So it's it's a manipulation technique, and there's a reason he's a famous pastor with a big organization and probably a lot of money. Um, but it's it's complete pandering to the crowd. It he he's he's not proving what he set out to prove. He's just doing this pious emoting. So remember what we're talking about here. The Calvinist idea is God has two wills. He has a secret will by which he controls all things on earth to happen to their particular ends. And then he has a declared will by which he tells us not to sin, which he himself violates. He tells us not to sin. Then he forces us to sin, right? And so it that seems that seems to be uh, a contradiction of some sort, and it seems to actually uh, represent accurately the meme that I posted that all the Calvinists were complaining about. That's what the meme is describing: God thwarting His own decrees, God saying one thing on one hand and doing another thing on another hand. So I I 
think that in the Bible, there's there's a different model of God's wills that's probably better and fits the story more accurately. Number one, the argument in the garden was Jesus arguing about what he wants at that time with God the Father arguing what he wants at the time. It's a conflict of wills. They have different wills. They have different priorities. They have different ideas. Yeah, but one of them needs to win out. And Jesus says, not your will, but mine be done. This is not a conflict between God's secret decrees that he's going to force to happen. Remember, he prefaces it with not your will, but or not my will, but yours be done. He thinks that God might, in fact, choose his will over God's will. He thinks, Jesus thinks, that the cross can be subverted, right? That doesn't fit this idea that John Piper, this is a proof text against his claims about God's secret will and his declared will. This is a proof text against that. This is showing that there is no fated, eternal, decreed will. Uh, in fact, God's will can change based on other people's wills. That's what the story in the garden is of. And Jesus, right before then, had just told his, uh, told his captors that uh, it, he could ask for a legion of angels to come rescue him, and they would come do it. He, Jesus, thought the cross was subvertible. He doesn't hold John Piper's categories, but uh, John Piper doesn't, uh, that it's, it's not, it's not beneficial to talk about that in, in your proof text for your secret and declared will. And so he skips over these concepts, but his proof text, a proof text against it. And then what they do is they really don't want uh, wh what we normally experience with our wills is that we have, let's say a conflict of priorities. You want one thing. I want my kids to be happy, but not at the expense of me bankrupting my entire family, right? Not at the expense of, like, let's say one of my kids was a, a sadist, not at the expense of torturing animals, right? We don't want to capture cats in the alleyway and torture them, even if it made one of my kids very, my kids love cats, so they'd never want anything like that. But uh, if one of my kids was made happy by torturing cats, um, even though I prioritize my kids' happiness, not at the expense of torturing animals, right? We can't always get what we want. We face trade-offs. Uh, when we have plans and goals, certain routes in getting to those places are unacceptable and certain, certain times they are acceptable. And God uses outside resources, the resources of his enemies, to get what he wants in certain circumstances. And that, that's fine by me, but they're a blunt instrument. They're not a fine-tuned instrument. <laughs> yeah, there is the verse that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so that's what they're practically describing with God, where God says he wants one thing and then forces unalterably decrees opposite of what he wants. Right? That, that's double-minded. You're, you're getting God saying that he wants something with the absolute power to do otherwise, and then he doesn't do that. So his secret directly opposes his revealed will. Don't be a double-minded unless you are God. Yeah, it's mocking Calvary's. And so the funniest thing uh, in this thread, this Twitter thread that we had pulled up, was just the, all the Calvinists coming out of the woodwork saying that that meme was not an accurate representation of Calvinism. It was. That's exactly what they believe. and. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. 
Anyways, if anyone wants to learn more about No Mere Permission, just pull up that podcast. I think it's just called No Mere Permission. You can search my videos under my channel and get that. And Calvin just lays it out. It's not like a short paragraph. It's like a whole chapter where he goes through and says, it's God's just not permitting things. That That's a wrong idea. And these people think they're all pious coming together saying that God just allows bad things to happen. But no, that, that's not Calvinism. That's not what we're talking about. God literally himself makes it happen. No mere permission. God decrees it and makes it come about. Uh, man does not have volition in this. This is the Calvinist idea. And so um, anyways, we're going to cut there. But uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Questions, comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for watching.